0: This podcast is part of a series of discussions at the Institute of Advanced Architecture, AIAC. This conversation includes different experts' opinion on understanding the role of BIM systems when designing cities. Our guest for today's podcast is Professor Mark Berry. Mark Berry is the founding director for Swinburne University Technologies Smart Cities Research Institute, an appointment he took in May 2017. His role is to lead the development of the whole university research approach to helping ensure that our future cities anticipate and meet the needs of all engaged smart citizens for engaging smart cities. Mark Berry is a practicing Architect who has published internationally on two main themes, putting theory into practice with regard to procuring challenging architecture and the life, work and theories of the Architect Antonio Gaudí. He has been senior architect to the sagrada familia basilica foundation since 1974 pioneered distant collaboration with his colleague based on site in barcelona in 2001 mark berry founded the spatial information architecture laboratory at rmit university before establishing the before establishing the design research institute in 2008 he held an uh, ARC funded Federation Fellowship in Complex Architecture and Convergent Design 2007 to 2012. He joined the University of Melbourne in 2014 as a professor of urban futures at the Faculty of Architecture, Building and Planning, where he helped develop the faculty's capacity to consolidate research in urban futures drawing together and augmenting expertise in urban visualization, urban analytics, and urban policy. The name of today's podcast is Cities as Responsive Systems, BIM as a tool to redefine new approaches in design. I will begin with a broad introduction so the audience can understand the framework of the topic. With the development of smart city technologies, new digital paradigms have been introduced as part of the design process. Nowadays, architects and urban designers are discovering new ways to reinterpret and understand cities by accessing and discovering new data sets that question architecture's role in the digital era. Dear Professor Mark, um, first of all, I would like to thank you for your time and most important for sharing with us your opinion on the topic. And to begin with. Uh, the first question is: What is the role of BIM in understanding the future built environment?
1: Well, the answer I'm going to give will possibly be unhelpful, um, but I will—it'll will be provocative. So, building information modeling is um, <clears throat> a bet noir for me. It's um, been around for a lot less time than I've been doing my my thing in you know, modeling information for building. And through the work with uh, the Sagrada Familia, inadvertently I came across BIM for planes and ships in about 1990. And I was aware from that point that uh, there were digital tools specifically um, created to help designers do everything around a design, including managing the, the project. So planes and ships have been using a BIM equivalent for all that time and architecture came to it very late. And because of, I mean, it's, it's a cultural thing, uh, engineers and we're, were quick to see how their workflow would be improved if you, you know, modeled all the information digitally. Mm-hmm. Whereas architecture, we, we tend to feel that we're, well, we have done, we're above all that, that sort of digital is a little bit dirty or it's, it is just a tool and not a part of our creative um, kit. And so for me, I, I call BIM a bit of a bit noir because it's, it became very powerful 15 years ago as you know, you're know, you getting stories about government contracts wouldn't go to practices that didn't have an established BIM technology approach. Uh, consultants suddenly arrived who were BIM consultants. And the problem with BIM is if it's a software as opposed to a, an approach, then you're limited by the software's potential. And a a very famous story for me was when an architect was was asked in in Australia to give a a model of one of their projects to a very well-known BIM software company. And they would produce a parametric model of that um, project. Mm -hmm. And when the project came back, what had been an elliptical staircase was a circular staircase. And they said, oh, that was meant been elliptical staircase, and I said, "Yes, we saw that, but uh, doesn't matter." And they said, of "Course it matters." And they said, "Well, our BIM software can't do elliptical staircases," and that's that's been the problem. So for me, I distinguish BIM between a philosophy and a technical approach. So I'm on the line that it's, it's a philosophy. Of course, we need information uh, around buildings. We model it, and we we communicate it, but we should see that as an approach. That we take as designers not as a method that we're given as a software company so it's probably a bit provocative i'm, I'm not a bim guru i'm just someone who's been working in that area for three decades and hence yeah. my um, irritation to see it rising up as a methodology as opposed to a philosophy
0: yeah okay and and i think it's interesting how you compare let's say engineerings when they were manufacturing like chips or planes as you as you mentioned and then how they use beam at, like for a lot, very long time and and I also think like maybe like in architecture we haven't used beam uh, recently just because we didn't have the tools at that point no? so we kind of like have sort of like the methodology behind maybe but we didn't have like the technologies and some at some point like, I think technology might, might, you know, like limit your design skill or the design that you want to to create, and somehow that is probably reflected of what you are saying.
1: Well, but before the software was taken up by architects, I had PhD, very talented PhD candidates who would take a major parametric software for engineering and adapt it for use, not just for um, <clears throat> an architectural project, but also modeling costs, uh, just showing that there was already software that could comprehensively handle the project. And still, we didn't get traction. It was always waiting for software companies to uh, adapt to architects' sort of needs, as opposed to leading the conversation. We, We ended up, as a profession, following the software rather than pushing it. And as I say, the evidence is there because we i have had several um, uh, PhD theses looking specifically at aspects of BIM through uh, the, the software that's been in existence since, as I, say, as I say, the beginning of the 1990s. So it's a big cultural uh, issue. Perhaps we're past it.
0: Yeah, OK, uh, yeah, with maybe. It.
1: Perhaps we're yeah. comfortable with it. Cool.
0: Um, so. Regarding the second question, so now we have BIM and now we have this concept of SIM, like city information modeling. So how do you think we can use SIM and BIM, let's say the use of data to move towards a more responsive design approach to tackle existing and future challenges? Not only in architecture, but let's say also in urban design.
1: So so this is where it gets really interesting because um, BIM is maturing fast. Uh, No doubt the software companies will routinely provide packages that will do elliptical staircases if that's what the architect wants to do. It's not that interesting. When it comes to city information modeling, it becomes very interesting because we can't look over to another profession and say, oh, well, they already do it. Um, When we look at cities, we can't possibly model every single thing about it. It would be like, do we have the computer, computational power to take BIM models for every single building in the city? Because that's obviously where this will go that every single mm-hmm. building in the world could be a BIM model. So that would allow for thinking about its management, you know, facilities management, it could think about its demolition. But we just don't have the computational power. So we therefore have to decide within the constraints of our computational power of today, what can we do with data at the city level? And it's a very different conversation, I think, than the BIM one. Mm -hmm. I think it's about looking at the city as a system, whereas with BIM, of course, we're looking at the building mostly as an object.
0: Yeah, okay. And do you think that also, let's say the quality of the data, because for me, like somehow I think like with the development of, let's say, the smartphones, like we are basically producing amounts, like very large amounts of data. But the question is, like, how much of that data it's becoming valuable to inform urban design or yeah, design decisions. So, do you think that yeah. quality of data is also relevant on, on that sense?
1: Well, I'll probably be a bit annoying in my answer here as well. Um, the, the the issue you're really alluding to is noise you know how do we actually get to the data we need from all the noise and that is a technical problem not a, a not a design problem we need um, computer scientists to find ways to get rid of the stuff we don't want in order to make very clear what we do want and there's you know there's a degree of success in that but that's not the issue the issue for me is it's not what's there it's what's not there so whatever you're gonna do with the data, you're gonna be limited by something that's missing. So for instance, you might have in a particular country because we have different laws, um, certain information might be absolutely impossible to share publicly. Um, Let's say it's water consumption. I'm just saying for example, and you might know everything about a precinct except what the water consumption is. And uh, and there's nothing you can do about that, which means that whatever you're going to do with your your, you know, CIM system approach is going to be limited by something that's missing. Um, As an optimist, I'm assuming that as um, CIM becomes more mature, uh, those uh, people who are enacting the laws will see why certain data should be made public because it's in the public interest. We, we haven't yep. talked about uh, PIM, which is Precinct Information Modeling. And I don't okay. put any effort into SIM mm-hmm. at the moment, C-I-M, because of the problems I've just elucidated. I think PIM is probably the more relevant for us as architects and urban designers, because it's at the level of the precinct, precinct information yep. modeling. We all understand what a precinct is. And most cities mm-hmm. are composed of a large number of precincts. And so I think if you can nail the system that's working at a precinct level, then the city system is just a bigger version of that. It's a system of systems. So I yeah. think the the, uh, the the precinct information modelling is the scale that we could be focusing on today, uh, and I mean the podcast. I mean just generally today, as as okay. architects and urban designers.
0: Yeah, because I yeah that's that's quite interesting because then like your city information modeling would be sort of like a combination of these precinct you know these sort of like different precincts that cities they usually they have. Um, that's quite interesting.
1: Well, I th- I, th- I think you see it each each precinct would be modelable. You can model every precinct as a system, and then of course we've got the computational power. <clears throat> I'll give you, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Let's say um, you want the traffic lights around a busy railway station to be responsive to pedestrians. Let's say, atypically, you decided that you'll give pedestrians right of way and cars not. And so when the train arrives, you want to have the, the, the through sensors or the timetable or both predictive modelling that the traffic signal will react to the number of people pouring out of the station and the lights will stay on longer and the pedestrians won't end up bunching up and the cars will have to wait. And if um, you get several trains arriving at once, even though they're not meant to, then the system will react to that. So that's at a precinct level. At the city level, this is going to have an effect on traffic because if the traffic has to wait longer than normal because there's a bigger uh, crowd of people coming out of the station, then that's gonna cause a a backup effect across the whole city. And that's where it gets really interesting because you'll need a a traffic management system for the whole city that can then respond quickly to a a situation like the one I've just described and direct traffic down different routes in anticipation.
0: Yeah, okay. So that's the relationship
1: relationship between a a precinct and and a city model. So it's a system of systems.
0: Yeah okay, um, so let's let's talk a little bit about like before you know architects they have they used to have that concept or like right now they some of them they have that concept of building as objects no you know like for an architect a building it's kind of like uh, this piece of art that it has to be look very very nice and sometimes when we talk about that idea of building as objects we forget what's the context and how is that building impacting like generating like different issues around the city so do you think that there is a potential to use cim or bim methodologies to move from that idea of building as objects to more like let's say cities of responsive systems
1: that's another way of asking how do I think architects and urban designers will um, change their practice around these emerging paradigms? And uh, to be annoying yet again, I'd say actually I'd park those paradigms to one side. They're a way. They're they're, they're basically methods of being professional, following the traditional role of what we've done. So if you take the architect's role is to meet with the client, be briefed by the client, come up with two or three options for the client to choose from, refine the design, develop the design, document the design and lead the construction process and ultimately a building, it comes up. And today we could even think about facilities management of the building once it's finished, where BIM really helps with that. And then ultimately at the end of the life cycle, of the building it can be dismantled and the materials reused because you've already got an inventory of what the building's made. Perfect description of BIM and how it's fitted in with the way architects have traditionally gone about their task. However, what if you just put that to one side and say, are there other things that could be happening um, that would give the architect a different professional role? And my research is very much looking at how you turn the role round. So for instance, when the architect meets with the client, the architect doesn't give the client some options. The client gives the, the, sorry, the architect gives the client a tool with which the client can actually develop the brief far more richly than they would have in the past. So for instance, if a client is wanting to develop 3000 units on a site, Traditionally, they would give that to the architect and say what their preferences are. They would The architect would look at the, the you know the, the code for the area and they would come up with the best way of getting 3000 units. But as you know, there's many ways of doing the same thing with the same outcome in terms of cost per square meter, et cetera, but one will be better than another. What if the architect's role was more focused on giving the client the tool to explore those options from their economic perspective, from their social perspective, whatever, and then put it back to the architect to make the design that much better through the traditional set of skills that only an architect has. And obviously AI and machine learning will be a very important component. So I think the BIM conversation is quite limited really because it's all about how the architect can carry on in their traditional role. Whereas if we're looking at buildings as systems and cities as systems, the, the architect can actually look forward to a completely different role where their traditional skills are bought right up. And all of the silly stuff uh, is just taken away by machines. And just to finish on this note, you see I'm, I'm actually a digital fuddy-duddy in that I was trained classically and did the first 10 years of practice using rotary pens and drawing boards. And it's not difficult for me to think back at how much time I spent doing something mechanical and pointless intellectually, even though it was giving me time to reflect, um, compared with being able to use the tools of today. You know, basically it's about what you can do in a day's work. And we can do a lot more now today with BIM than we could with the drawing board. But I think when we start embracing some of these emerging technologies in the way I've just described, we'll get even more done in a day. And it'll be even clearer what the architect's role is than possibly we have. Uh, it's defined today.
0: Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, Okay, Um, so let's talk about now of that idea of identifying new data streams. So is there any, do you think that CIM or BIM as the topic today, they are able to integrate new data streams to inform better design solutions? And when I when I say integrate like new data streams, I mean something that is more like life like happening at the moment and then somehow that is informing the design at the same
1: time. Um. yes, I'm waiting to see what it is that's happening now that's so crucial it's going to affect a material decision that's going to lead to 80 years of building life Um. it's it's i see the um current data as being important more to people dealing with bushfires and flood emergencies than the mm-hmm. designer what i think the designer is looking for is the classic um problem that nasa in the state started off with which is the unknown unknowns because with data and you know with the right People helping us in the right software, we can go for the, the known unknowns quite quickly. Like we need to know what the traffic's like all round the year. What are the what's the worst case scenario for traffic that's going past this um, development I'm building in order to decide where to have the road in and out, for instance? That that's okay. We, 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 we can't do that ourselves, but we can brief the people who can, or we can use the software that will do that. And that's that's great because we couldn't do that before but it's not as interesting as the problem uh, of the opportunity or problem whichever you, way you look at it of the unknown unknowns what is it about the city that we never knew um, but only through looking at lots of data sets simultaneously historical as well as current can we get an insight that we wouldn't have otherwise that will in fact uh, will affect the way we design something uh, i it, it's something i'm not I don't think we're there. I don't think we're embracing AI or machine learning sufficiently well. And and maybe somebody's listening to this will say, no, 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 there's so-and-so. But I'm not aware of anybody who's really pulled anything off in this regard. But it's obvious that's what's going to happen, that we will routinely be able to make decisions more powerfully based on these unknown unknowns emerging than any current data that um, uh, you know, is that at our disposal? Having said that, if an architect's asked about, well, what's gonna to happen to the city after the pandemic finally gets beaten? Maybe they do need to have look at look at current data in order to see what's changed. Um, I'm speaking from Melbourne in Australia and we are now facing the worst road congestion. The, the road congestion currently is worse than before COVID even though very few people are working in the city. And it's because most people have decided that public transport is unsafe and have opted to bring their their car to work. Now, this is stuff that we know this because we've got the data. If we didn't have the data, we would have that impression. And somebody would say, yeah, it seems like there's more congestion, but we know there is. Uh, Now, whether the architect and, and the urban designer needs to access that data themselves, or whether they just have to work with people who are you know, sociologists or demographers, I don't know. But, but I think as a designer, I, I would like to have a broad set of insights, not just what's happening today.
0: Yep. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, yeah, and I guess that's related to the last question, which is like how we can, how do you think we can use these tools, emerging tools to inform like better, Uh, design for the cities or yeah
1: okay well i'm i'm quite clear about this too i'm afraid it's speculative i can't give you examples of it working but it's what i'm working on myself so you know i I run a a smart cities research institute and smart city is just a glib term that was to describe the digitalization of cities it's very much tech led And uh, so it's companies wanting to sell smart parking meters or smart lamp posts. Um, But actually what we're really looking at is how to make developing cities or how to develop cities to be more sustainable, to use less resources and to cause less environmental impact. So in the time that I've been running my institute, which is about four years already, I can just see attention wandering away from the smart city to the digital twin and the sim cim or bim or pim they're all examples of digital twins again it's irritating because that's exactly what the companies were doing who are doing engineering software are about they were making digital twins uh, of you know right, right including up to the point of including performance. So that if you're an aeronautical engineer, you would actually use you know a digital twin of a turbine blade to see at what point it would break. Um, you do that through computation rather than just building a prototype and breaking it, which you might do afterwards to prove that the digital was good, but ultimately the digital was proven to be good. So I, I think the digital twin is Uh, a wonderful way of changing the conversation from smart cities to what we're really trying to do, which is marry the real with the virtual. So the real answer to your question is, what are we gonna do to get the the, um, citizen up from being merely engaged in the design process to participating in the design process? So I think we will find ways now as designers, just as I was, suggesting that the client can be given the tools to be far more um, autonomous in working out how best to move their project forwards. I'm looking for the the, um, era to come where those people who are most affected by decisions around the city's development, the citizen, will be able to participate, not engage in a process where they fill in questionnaires or go to a town hall and just be noisy, but actually new routes. And I think this will be done from surprising ways. Like it could be through games technology, married, married to um, AI or more machine learning, where you play a game. And by playing that game, you reveal what's important to you in your community, for instance. And with appropriate anonymization, that kind of data would be collated. And that's the real time data that the designer would would really um, get value from. They would understand what the community really, really wants, rather than what the community thinks it wants. So that's where I think it's all going to go. Well, that's not true. That's where I'd like it to go. I don't necessarily think it will go there. But you know, if our research around the world is sufficiently funded, let's hope that's what the designer has at their, at the, at their, at, their, at their, in, their, in their hands. Uh, um, digital platforms that allow ordinary people who are after all going to be affected by the decisions opportunities to participate in the process and one last word on that because um the 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 reaction i often get from that is no no mate the reason you're a designer is because you can do things that the person living in the city can't do for themselves and that's true obviously but we've got this we've had this intense um issue between experts and non-experts to the extent, as we've seen in recent American politics, where the expert is derided. But I think if you have citizens participating with experts, you're going to have a two-way conversation that's going to be very rich for both parties. The experts are going to have to find new ways to talk to the people who are affected by their decisions Mm. in ways that the, 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 the public are going to understand. And the public are going to f- finally fi- work out what experts really do, because I'm—I I know from doing community consultations as an architect um, years ago and another life as it was. My first problem was to actually explain what an architect did, because the very informed ones thought we were some kind of draftspeople with a fancy name. They hadn't any uh, any—they didn't realize that we were sort of looking at the world philosophically, sociologically, economically, um, aesthetically, and. Uh, and Historically, you know, and you had to explain that it didn't work very well as an explanation. But it was it was clear that they didn't really get it. But our processes of consultation um, meant that they would never really get it because they didn't see us actually designing. that We would come back with the design, whereas I think with the real time possibilities of especially with parametric modeling, we can do what if scenario um, uh, exercises with people based on the information that we've you know established from them through whether it's a game or whatever process. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to.
0: I guess like community, like that relationship between designers and community, it's always like a you know it's it's a bit very very challenged to inform like the city or the, the citizens like how we as designers are like trying to improve things and, and trying to engage with them as well. Thank you so much. I know that your time is very limited and we really appreciate this. And, and I know that this will be uh, very valuable for the rest of the class as well.
1: I just going to say, well, Felipe, I'm, in, um, I'm never too busy to do something for EAC. So, Thank you so much, Mark.
0: Thank you so much for listening. And remember... This podcast is part of the theory seminar for the Masters of Advanced Computation for Architecture and Design at IAC.